<laughs> I dare you to call it Emma's flaming vagina. I don't know if I can get away with it's that. It's spicy hot. It's a spicy taco. Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone, this is Liza, and what a great weekend it is! Uh, you know, we had a we had a great weekend, especially because we had a visitor from overhead today in the garage. <laughs> That's right. Joining us, it's Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Eagle and of the sky. You were yes, up, you were right. up in the sky. I I was looking down on you from two thousand feet from the co-pilot seat of a Cessna 152. How about that? And cool. I can Beautiful. exclusively reveal a Cessna 152 is a very snug little aeroplane. <laughs> you don't, you don't get... Yeah, it's cozy. You don't and get in it. vintage also, right? Yes. You do not get in a Cessna 152. You put it on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what year was it? Uh, I think it was a 78. Wow. Cool. Did it have a really cool, cool instrument cluster? Oh, God, yeah. It was all so analog. And everything was kind of like a nice 70s pudding color. The plane was pudding color. Nice. And what a beautiful day to fly. No fog. Oh, God, it was bloody marvelous. Um, and it actually, it gave me a chance to have a look at the devastation. There you are. There it is, little bleeder. Um, mm. It gave me a chance to actually have a look at the devastation. The oh. fire caused. Oh, wow. It, yeah. Wow. It was extensive. Let me uh, introduce who else is here with us, and then I want to hear all about that. Uh, well, yep. you, you heard it coming to us. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is naked. It's Naked Jim. Yes, that is all true. Uh, yeah, I'll just say MotoGP, if you are not following, MotoGP this year is the gift that keeps on giving. Ooh, I want. I got that on the list. I want to hear about that. Mm. Uh, and coming to us back in Santa Cruz for now, it's Bagel. Hey, I'm back in town just for now. <clears throat> I want to point out the difference between uh, last week when you were recording in that giant workshop and today you're in a overfilled garage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, all of this stuff is uh, is going to be spread out much more in the new place. Nice. And, uh, have you have you noticed detected a little bit of an Oregon accent creeping through? He's definitely <laughs> not, he's not Californian he's anymore. Trying to blend in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I then, don't even know what an Oregon accent sounds like. <laughs> also joining us, Charlie. What flavor of wine are you drinking today? Not ABS. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's called a hanky panky. You. Oh, it's yeah. a, it's an actual mixed drink. Camaro. Yeah, no, it's a. Tell us what's in the hanky panky. Gin, uh, fernet, and uh, vermouth, and just a dash of love. I thought you were saying a dash of Micah's dirty underwear. No, just my penis. <laughs> oh, that's how you stir oh. it. Oh, oh no. blimey! And, and, and then you turn it all around. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Okay, you just ruined it. All right. Yeah, can we I was going to make a joke about why would you need ABS on a motorcycle? Because I just disgraced mine. 
today. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you tell us what you did? Uh, this is on your Super 10. You made uh, an improvement to your bike, didn't why, you? Why would you need WAP on a motorcycle? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that WAP That's really... It, you lose traction from all the the, the ditchiness on God the from all the debris. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> you know you got to stand up and get over it all. Okay, very good. Yeah. So tell us about the improvement you made to your super uh, tank. I disabled. Well, I made a switch for the ABS <laughs> so I could actually turn off. Because for an adventure motorcycle that you actually want to go off road with, you know, having a toggle switch for the ABS is kind of a good idea. And on the 2012 Yamaha Super Tenere, you don't get that. Here's what I don't understand: if it's that easy to just put a toggle switch in why aren't more bikes doing that i remember on the v-strum you're have you're supposed to pull the fuse out take the seat off pull the fuse out right, right, right. why well, are so more that's, more that's bikes just putting in a toggle switch in emma so that's what you have to do with this bike but what i did is i pulled the fuse out and then i wired in like with the Ooh, blade. i'm gonna take I, a guess i think i know the answer to my own question what? Go on, to avoid a lawsuit yep they don't want you to be able to disable the abs there you go. You but have the, answered your own question. Um, the North American well, Highway Transportation, NHTSA, would not allow you to actually have a disability. Strictly uh, speaking, even if it's got a switch, there's still some intrusiveness, albeit small. You know, what you've done, Charlie, is disabled it. And, you know, yes. it's as good a time to any to review how ABS works. So the brake fluid goes through the ABS block, which has basically got a motor in it and a pump. And there's a sensor on the front wheel, there's a sensor on the rear wheel. When it detects that there is a difference in rotational speed between front and rear, that's how it works. It sends a signal to the motor. The motor basically blocks brake fluid. And right. so your brakes disengage. Now, all this is happening in a millisecond. But that's how it works. Now, if you can stop power going to that motor, that's it. You've disabled the ABS. And this is just a fuse. Yeah. So and, I, you I know. Mean, I, yeah. What? Some bikes, it actually goes through the ECU. It goes into yeah. the main control unit of the bike, in which case, if you disable the, the ABS, you get a check engine light on yeah. and maybe a limpo mode on the engine. You don't want that. Um, but the earlier models, like your 2012, I mean, it's a standalone system. Yeah, I just so, yeah. switch it, and then it just, the ABS light comes on or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and that's it, and it's doing exactly what it should, and you've got no ABS. And I, and I did put a relay because I wanted to use a covered, like toggle switch or whatever, mm -hmm. um, which would mean the switch is off, but it needs to be on. But well, and, and that's interesting comparing to the Africa Twin because all of the things on my bike I can adjust on the fly while I'm riding down the road. The um, traction control anything can except for disabling the abs i actually have to be stopped which makes sense because the wheels have to be not in motion the sensor not functioning um <clears throat> and on the africa twin you can disable the rear only right 
Yeah. And then to uh, re to to take that off to to have it go back, I have to stop and press the button again, or turn the bike off well, and, and on, and it re- resets to both on. I'd be interested if it is off completely or if it's just got the tiniest amount of intrusiveness that you Mm. can't you know honda's telling you it's off but there's still that tiny amount of intrusion that you won't notice but i mean i think it turns itself back on once it like does a rain dance and knows that you're on pavement again well no it i mean we have to stop the bike but jim wouldn't you agree wouldn't it be nice that's the only thing we have to stop to do when we're going from pavement to dirt to dirt to pavement we have to stop and do the abs and actually because i have to stop oftentimes we go from dirt onto the pavement and i forget and i have no rear abs for the until i turn the bike off yeah, it keeps you on your toes, that's for sure, when all of a sudden you're about to kind of lose it and you need to, <laughs> to get on the rear end, to, to get on the rear brake to turn the rear wheel around, and all of a sudden it starts giving. You're like, well, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> um, so here's a question for you. Do you know where ABS originated from? What vehicle it originated on? Well, uh, Airplanes, I, wasn't it? Yeah, vehicles oh, really? got it. Yeah. Is it the Second 747? Oh, long before that. Oh. Second oh. World War. Oh, Second wow. World War, most, most, um, I'm not sure whether Flying Fortress had it, Superfort had it. Oh, was it so they could land on shorter runways? And, mm. you know, what, all weather conditions. Because when a plane's landing, I mean, let's take a big four-engine plane with a, with a very high wing loading, like a Superfortress. You're landing at 140 knots, and if you're on a slick runway, you're suffering from exactly the same problems that a car doing 140, 150 miles an hour with 1940s technologies tires going to suffer from. So when you tromp down on the brakes, you don't want it sliding all over the place. So, um, yeah, Which it's an aircraft thing. I think um, it is a perfect segue into the race we saw this morning. From France! Oh, yeah. It is amazing to see them race in the rain mm. when it's so wet and that it seemingly defies physics and still sticks to the ground. Um, but I'm wondering, um, and we, we know that they changed tires, but I'm wondering if there's any adjustments to the brakes when it's wet. No, I mean, the same electronics that... <clears throat> that they use for a dry circuit i mean it's the same basic electronics it's just it's all about the tires and you'll find the wet weather tires very very soft compound um they've got massive siping on them to get the water out of the tread area of the tire so they don't aquaplane um formula one or motor gp motor gp motor gp yeah. Yeah. So don't they don't yeah. they change the don't don't the electronics change like per turn? Well, I mean it's constantly changing, but I don't think they're downloading new maps for wet and dry. <clears throat> I think the the electronics on the bike are constantly adjusting for all the conditions. Right, because the ABS fascinating will, though. Yeah, the ABS will compensate for slicker conditions because as the wheel starts to slip, that's when it kicks in. Right. So and whether it's it, slick or, or, yeah. or sticky. You know, yeah, 
and and I can attest that the ABS has come a long way. I had it on my nine, like my '95 BMW, and the one time I actually like really had to use it when a car did a U-turn in front of me, and it just goes like, it's like something horrible broke on the bike, and you realize like. Oh, that's the ABS. And now on the bikes, you hardly hear it or notice it. It just does it. I'm so, thinking Emma, it must have like impre- in, in, increased in speed like 100 times. Right. Mm. Sure. Um, but back in the old days, you could really feel it. Oh, yeah. It you was, could, it was you a know, shudder. Thump, 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 thump. But I've got a lovely memory um, of being at Mallory Park for the transatlantic trophy race, which was the best Britain had to offer versus the best American had to offer. And I can't remember whether it's 78 or 79, and it was pouring with rain. And we thought, oh, we've got this in the bag because the American riders can't ride in the rain. Well, how wrong we were. And then Steve Baker came past on his Yamaha TZ750, and I always used to stand by the hairpin, and he lit up the, te- the, the TZ and just span the back wheel in the rain, and he just span it all the way down with a bike virtually going sideways. It was absolutely magic. He was one of That's the wild. few American... He was one of the few American riders that was very, very effective in the rain and very respected in England. Um, a lot of a lot of bikers of my age still remember Steve Baker because he was he was such a damn accomplished rider. I'm guessing Is he a flat track background. Yeah, I was going to say usually a, yeah. a lot of these racers come from flat track, and that's how they're comfortable. With yeah, that. exactly. So you know, it's it's what you were saying earlier at the of the garage lizer. I mean, the the reason you continue to ride dirt is to make you a better street rider, and so it kind of dovetails into that. Yeah, Jim. Do You're we really wa- do we want to say who won the race? Do you want to say anything? Do you want to talk about? We have to give the spoiler alert if you want to talk. No, about don't the race don't do the spoiler alert because there are going to people who are going to sit down and maybe they've got a day off. Um, Tuesday. I will. Can, let me let me do one small spoiler. We can talk about. A there few was one things, though, writer it away. I was very impressed with. And now I've not been following the race scene very much. I, I mean, I know some of the names, but there was somebody who came from the back and moved up consistently all the way up to second place and that was uh, Alex Marquez Mark Marquez's little brother who looks yeah. just like him it's so cute <laughs> uh, like he's 12 I know yeah. uh, I think it's really cool when you have that lineage in a family and well, that was what, calm it, cool riding on a young person that's what you want to see well what I what I really like about the um about riding in the rain and it's indicative of the season cuz uh Marquez Mark Marquez right broke his leg early on so it's the season's been wide open I think last week or maybe it was this week anyway I won't give it away but there's been a lot of winners um this year it's not been dominated by anyone and there's names in the world standings like you know Takanakagami if you follow it all he's like right in the pack, middle of the you know you, you don't normally see him kind of in the middle of the pack this is um, you know, year-long standings, not about the race today. But what I like about the rain, it it's it's an equalizer in in the sense that not everybody can ride well in the rain. 
Yeah. And there's people that do and there's people that don't. So it really mixes up the action that much more. And Le Mans, you know, it's a it's a it's a hard cornering track in the sense there's a lot of first and second gear turns, a lot of hard braking, and it was cold too. So it really set up for a for an exciting race. You know, there was crashes, there was moments, there was fish shaking or something at one point. I'm not sure what it was, but just Oh, we like the fish shaking. After, after someone left the track um, and got back on and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, I, yeah, the, the rain's fascinating. And like you mentioned, the, the rubber compounds are nuts. But it's a great season to be watching MotoGP. So, hey, I've got a question. As somebody who really hasn't been following, I don't know anyone here knows the answer, but I think it's a good question. Hey, Charlie, most of the bikes in MotoGP, where are they made? Japan and Italy. Hey, uh, hey, Jim, how many riders are from Japan? in the MotoGP right now? Um, I can, in my limited knowledge, I can only speak to uh, MotoGP, not two and three. I just know Takanakami. Why is that? What do you guys, what do you think that is about? Why, if the bikes come from there, you'd think that the whole racing culture would be a part of that too, right? They're too busy riding those um, Babosa bikes or whatever they are. Babosa <laughs> Zuka. <laughs> That's a Babosa Zuka. They're too busy pimping that shit out racing it. Don't you, don't you think that is curious, though? I think it's, I mean, mm. it's kind of a wild guess, but I think it comes more down to, like, you know, at least, like, like here in the States, like, you got people riding flat track. You got people, like, just infinite places to ride. Where in Japan, I don't know if there's as big of a... Well, I think if you can't make that comparison guess. anymore, because there's, there's no more American riders in MotoGP, I think it's cultural, yeah. right? Mm, I mean, yeah. I mean, look how, look how deep Italian racing groups go, French racing, British racing yeah. routes. You know what I'm saying? You know, look what they were doing in Japan in nineteen in the mid nineteen forties. You know, they were having a different experience. So, but it goes um, in like near groups. Like, is there the you know the cart track racing? Is there like the you know all the lower levels of racing? Is that culture still alive in Japan? Dude, have you seen their tiny speedboat racing in Japan? <laughs> no, you guys haven't seen this. I'm not sure. I might have. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's uh, think of um, a, a a water racetrack the size of like a horse track, right? In a loop. And they're in these tiny speedboats. I mean, tiny. They're maybe like five, six feet long or something. They're tiny. And they're hauling ass doing these laps on this hmm. water racetrack uh it's it's a whole huge thing there i mean people train to do it um you gotta check it out japanese are good at the crazy dangerous shit yeah this is true <laughs> they are <laughs> hey emma should we talk about what we did yesterday why not why not yeah let's talk about what we did yesterday we actually filmed a couple of new episodes mm -hmm. of the misfits, misfits. Ask the Misfits. Yeah. Uh, in a special place. You know, it's very nostalgic for me. We went back to Genesis. We went back <laughs> to where Liza actually found me mm -hmm. lurking amongst the Bultacos at the Jameson Classic Motorcycle Museum. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And what a fortuitous meeting that was. Well, um, I mean, all the museums here, uh, Jameson, Moto Talbot, they've all been closed due to the yep. COVID uh, restrictions. And um, fortunately, uh, Neil Jameson let us go in there 
uh, to record, and Jim and Tad came down and helped out. That was cool. Right. Uh, but there's cool. so much to talk about. So we're just trying to take advantage of the fact that we've got all these bikes there. Uh, nobody's seeing them. And we came up with a couple good subjects. So I'm working on editing those, and we'll be getting those out. Uh, hopefully the next one will be out this week. Right. Um, but there's um, – I can reveal I'm fawning over one of my f- – favorite bikes in the world in one of the episodes and um yeah it was it was just it was a very very nice afternoon um i always enjoyed yeah yeah it's 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 always a good scene in jameson whether there are people in there or not and um it's very very kind of neil to allow us access to the museum i mean i've got a key i've got a key to all the museums in monterey because i'm miss emma but it's very, very, it's very nice of Neil. And, you know, it's it's tough, you know, to let people loose with your baby, you know. And Neil's like, oh, you won't let them touch anything, will you? I said, no, Neil, it's in safe hands, you know. And he was, he was very gracious about the whole thing. Little so, does he know we were all naked. Yes, on well, his bikes. What's funny is, is we didn't touch things, but we were... Is this spoiler alert? Can I talk about the topics of your uh, of the film? No, I think you can. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about different drives, uh, shaft drive, chain drive, belt yeah. drive, and we needed a uh, belt drive, and we're looking for a Harley or something like that. Looking around, next time, no, I turn around. Emma's got the side the side cover off. A 1970. Is that it? Seven Bonneville. No, the Commando. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. The Norton Commando. So, no, I mean, sorry, um, the Norton Commando. And I, I yeah, turn around, you got the, the side case off of the thing. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> well, I mean, if you remember, I built that bike yeah. for the museum. And yep. it became quite a famous bike of five or six years ago. Um, it became the poster bike for Corbin, and it had pride of place in the... Um, in the Jameson. It's placed a couple of times at the Quail. Um you know, it's 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 a little bit gone by the wayside now because all, that was a few years ago. But it's still a nice bike to look at, and of course, it's got a belt primary on it um, because I put it in there, and I thought this is absolutely perfect to, to demonstrate one of the systems we were talking mm-hmm. about. So there you go. Yeah. Oh. Hey, um, Charlie. Uh- if let's see if i was to ask you what would you say between your super 10 and our africa twins what would you say is the one thing that your super 10 is has more of more yeah how how do you think your super 10 outshines our africa twins charisma hmm more torque blue not for very much longer sir because Uh honda has uh, filed for new plans on a supercharged Africa twin. What? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, wait. So oh, super, God. not turbo, but supercharged. Supercharged Africa twin 1100, which already has, it says about 100 horsepower. They're not saying how much right now. It's just a... Yeah, it's going to be a direct-injected, engine-boosted via twin-screw supercharger. Wow. And okay. they've, uh, Would you like me to talk pub- very publish, briefly? Publish on what- patent documents. That's where we're at right. with that. Would you like me to talk very briefly on what supercharging and turbocharging is? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, it, it, it's really quite simple. Um, if you think of your engine as a pump, 
There are pistons that go up and down. Mm -hmm. They suck in fuel-air mixture. They combust it. There's a big explosion go on, and then they push it out the front. But basically, they have to suck in the air-fuel mixture. Now, supercharging and turbocharging do exactly the same thing. Instead of the engine sucking in that fuel-air mixture, it gets pushed in. It's just the means of pushing it in. Now, if you're actually pushing in that amount, you're pushing in more. So you get more power. It's as simple as that. Turbocharging works on an impeller. It looks like a little jet engine inside there. There's a very high-speed impeller, which is driven by the exhaust gases. Now, the idea is, is the more load you're putting on the engine, the more pulses are coming out, the higher the pulse coming out of the exhaust, the faster it's spinning the turbine, the more fuel air it's going to push into the engine. So it's very much on demand. And turbochargers work well. You know, the early ones suffered a lot from what was called turbo lag, in that you whacked open the throttle, and the bike thought about it for a second and then went. Now, your CX500 is notorious for turbo lag. Mm -hmm. The getting on power isn't that much of a problem, but the getting off power was, because, of course, you'd be blasting along with a turbo, And then some idiots would pull out in front of you and you'd shut the throttle. And then exactly the same delay as you experienced spooling up would be experienced spooling down. So even though you shut the throttle, for a second your bike is going, oh, no, 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 I want to go, go, go. (laughs) I do have a remedy for that. Crapping your pants? No, I've learned. That's what a lot of people did. No, I've experienced that and I've just learned to pull in the clutch. Yeah, and you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, modern incarnations of turbos, everything's a little more electronically controlled. There are blow-off valves now. The wastegates are changed differently. The turbos themselves are smaller. Generally, the bigger the turbo, the more turbo lag you're going to get, both spooling up and spooling down. But that's that's the turbo. The supercharger does exactly the same thing. It pushes the air-fuel mixture in to the engine by means of either an impeller or rotary screws. But the difference, instead of being driven by the exhaust, it's driven via the engine mechanically. It can be driven very unusually by chain. Most usually is by a toothed belt. And one of the big fallacies is that to superchargers whine. Superchargers don't. They're actually silent running. But the tough belts that drive them produce a very, very specific whine. Mm-hmm. And it's the air getting trapped in the teeth of the belt. Mm. And so that's a very distinctive noise that you'll hear with a supercharged car, say, with a big tooth belt yeah. on the front. You've got that very distinctive supercharger whine when it's really actually the belt. Mm. On the H2... And on the Africa Twin, it's gear-driven within the engine. So here's the spoiler. You're not going to hear it, but you're sure going to feel it. So generally a very, very loose formula is you take 30% of the power away to drive the thing and then double what's left. 
So let's start with your 100 horsepower engine. Mm -hmm. You're going to take 30 horsepower, horsepower, horsepower away. away. Roger. So that leaves 70. 70%. Mm -hmm. Now you double it. So it's 140. So theoretically, it should be a 140 horsepower engine, which is very, very nice. The advantage of a supercharger as opposed to a turbocharger, the power's there instantaneously. The power is there from idle all the way up to the red line. A turbocharger, as you found out with your CX lighter, there's not much going on at lower speeds. You've got to have a lot of revs and a lot of throttle input to get the thing working. So good on your Honda. And you also don't have the lag with the supercharger when you come off the throttle. No, it's it's, it's direct drive. It's direct drive. So you throttle up, you go. You throttle down, you slow down. Um, You won't even notice a supercharger's on it if if no one told you, right? No, exactly. I mean, if you're lucky enough to ride an H2, you just realize you're riding a bloody fast motorcycle. Um, You you wouldn't say, oh, this has got a supercharger because it's got these characteristics. The characteristics of a supercharged engine are it is very, very quick. It's just mechanically pushing more air into it consistently depending on how fast the engine is moving. That's the only change is how fast the engine is spinning. Now, if I know Honda right, they're going to have all kinds of tricky computer mapping on that and maybe some intake um, changes that's going to give it even more torque at lower speed and kind of flatten it out at higher speed. So it's going to be a lovely thing. Yeah. The one thing, though, that's interesting to me is, um, and, and Jim, tell me if you disagree, I consider my Africa Twin my large dirt bike. I don't really need more power. It's got more power than enough. And actually, when we ride on the freeway, like 80, 90 feels sketchy because of the tires we're running. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with just the large the large front wheel. And then we're running big mm-hmm. block knobbies. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But yeah. it's, a, it's a comfortable 80 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour. I mean, once you get it, I, mean, I think mm-hmm. I've done 108 or 10 on it. And it's it'll do it. It's just it's like that big wumpin' twin is like hammering away. Um, but I don't write it for that. Yeah, Emma. I'm going to make a prediction mm-hmm. that the blown Africa twin will have a 19-inch front wheel. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like this would be more suitable as a touring bike, which I don't yeah. really consider my Africa twin right. as a touring bike. But maybe yeah. they're realizing how many of the people who buy adventure bikes are actually yeah. doing it with for right, touring. Right, right, right. And for me... It's because of the upright riding position is more comfortable right. for me. I mean, if I want to go fast, you know, I take the FC1. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I, I'm, I could be shifting out a second at 100 miles an hour on that bike, and it's not a big deal. But it's just a whole different experience, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, Inter- I mean interesting I mean, the choice. Africa Twin, it's my, it's, it's my thing on where I want to ride three or four hours to the Sierras or down Highway 1 Big Sur. And then right. jump off fire roads for a, like for four or five hours and yeah. then get back home, you know, hop back on the road and make it home by the end of the night. Now, Emma, in the plans that they filed, it does have a larger front wheel. Yeah, I, that is a very, very basic plan. And mm-hmm. I think it's more of an engine layout. But yeah, the thought of riding a supercharged 1,000cc twin with a, well, with 1100. a 300. 
1100. Yeah, 1100 twin with a 21 inch front wheel. I mean, you'd need a lobotomy to get on. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> one thing I sell an Africa twin for is it being a really capable off-road machine. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. Sell that, I feel like you need that 21-inch front wheel because that's what I, I think. That's the yeah. I'll say that's the kicker. I think that big-ass front wheel. The times I panicked going uphill because it's rutted and rocks, and I'm like, ah, and I just pin it. That fucking thing just hauls ass no wow. matter like the rut or the rock or whatever. So I don't know, but um, yeah, you. You were all too far too young to remember, but Liza might remember that in the early 80s, mm-hmm. Honda dirt bikes came with a 23-inch front mm-hmm. wheel. Wow. For that reason. Yeah. And that was the – these weren't the pure dirt bikes. These were the street enduros, the XL – I believe the XL250, 250, yeah. the XL350, mm-hmm. and the XL500 all had a 23-inch front wheel. It was all dual sport bikes, um, basically, right? Yeah. yeah, dual sport bikes, and they oh, look goofy funny. as hell. And I think, <laughs> I think what killed it was Bridgestone said, "Nah, we're not going to make tires for these anymore. You know, we've had oh, enough." Um, but yeah, twenty-three inch front wheel for that reason. But well, I just, I don't see having all that power with a skinny front wheel. It's going to yeah. be well, super yeah. sketchy. Well, well the, the comparison I like is hopping on Liza's uh, uh, KTM 990 Supermoto Adventure thing, right? So mm-hmm. the Adventure Twin with the 17-inch front wheel. Yeah. And that thing is wicked nimble. I mean, the diff- that, yeah. that, it, it, so when you get a small front wheel on it, you're, it's a whole different experience, obviously. I can only imagine if you get a smaller wheel like Bagel has, it feels even better. I've seen Bagel ride in the Sierras, man. He'll keep up with anybody. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Heck yeah. Well, and and Jim, uh, speaking of your FZ1, your beloved FZ1. I love that bike. I know. It's still beloved. It's fine. It's just having a moment. You had, had you had to ride it. You had you had to ride nut to butt yesterday, didn't you? Uh, I, had to, I had to go nut to butt. That's, at least it wasn't you. <laughs> like when you were nut to butt with me. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> so, so um, no, we, we're going to actually fix Jim's FZ1, FZ1, on, Tues- on Tuesday night because Emma mm-hmm. is once again changing careers. So before, you, am- before you talk about what's wrong with that, I want, let me have him l- list the symptoms so people can play along and see if they can deduce... What is wrong? There you go. What so, happened, Jim? Yes. Okay, I'll go with the very first clue. Um, and a good reminder, if you ride your bike a lot like most of us do, you notice the, these little things you're like, huh. And in my mind, I'm always like, oh, it's probably fine, right? So I heard a little, a tiny whirring noise when I started the bike. Very faint, but you could, it was, I, I heard it. And it was almost like the sound of a, a radiator fan kind of starting to go bad, like one of the little bearings in the radiator fan mm-hmm. starting to whir a little bit. Didn't think much of it. Kept riding. Uh, going down Highway 1, we were going down to Jameson Museum. Um, and I'd been riding the bike daily. Emma went through it, God bless you, about maybe a 1,000 miles ago. Um, so I knew it was sorted out. And we're going down Highway 1, highway speed, maybe 60, 65, 70. And it starts losing power, like stuttering, like that. It was almost like when I hadn't changed spark plugs in 50,000 miles. Um, and when you would really roll on the throttle, it would sputter and lose power. Um, so very similar. So I'm like, huh. Um, 
so it was kept running, kept running. Um, looked down at one point, the engine light was on and it had stalled. I'm like, well, that's never good. Um, but I knew it had oil in it um, unless something had happened, but no oil light, anything like that. Yeah, you said your engine so, light had come on for a while. Engine light had come on, yeah. And um, and, and it stalled out. So, huh? so I tried uh, bump starting it kind of, you know, popping the clutch out. And because uh, I'd pulled the clutch in to see what the fuck was going on, let it back out. It ran a little bit. Anyway, basically, uh, was had comms with you, threw it into like fifth gear or something. Which, side note, always good to be on comms because I was leading, he was tailing, and I was able to get us all over and off the freeway at, uh, just in time for him. So, yeah, yeah go so ahead. Get, so, I think it was, I, I think when the, the engine was kind of sputtering coming off the off-ramp, it was just the momentum of the engine acting like it wanted to start. So, anyway, obviously, something's fucked. And um, gold blimey. Um, Emma's blinding me. Oh, is that a piston? Yeah. Oh, quite shiny. Um, so anyway, we limp it off to a parking lot and, uh, turn it off, go to turn it on. It starts clicking like the battery's dead. Yeah. Just so those were the clues. Those were the clues we had. It had oil still. And I'll give you 20 bucks for the bike. I know. So, Emma, what did you deduce is the issue? So, um, we tested the charging system and found it wasn't charging. Mm -hmm. But now we get into the peculiarities of that engine. So, basically, the FC1 is a road-going sit-up-and-beg sit version of the R1. And the R1 has a nasty little secret. It's got a very compact alternator that sits behind the crank. It's gear-driven. And the reason they put it behind the crank is to make the engine nice and narrow so that you can get these crazy lean angles when you're on a track. The problem is there's only a small amount of real estate there. So the alternator is quite small diameter and quite deep. If anybody's seen the alternator for a motorcycle, they're usually quite big. They're mm -hmm. about six or seven inches in diameter. They're only about an inch deep. And, you know, it's quite a big thing. On an FZ1, the alternator is only about three or four inches diameter. And it's about as deep. It's about three inches deep. So it's kind of small diameter and long. And the dirty little secret they do is that the magnets on the rotor lose their magnetism and they fall off the flywheel i think is it the uh, ninja 500 that has this that this is a common problem on the, i've heard know, this common problem with certain bikes it's it's quite a common problem with this uh with nippon denso alternators mm. and there's a variety of things that can cause it before we throw nippon denso under the bus um you need to keep on top of your oil. Um, if you neglect your oil, the oil gets very thin. Engine temperatures go up. That is the number one cause of trank trig crank triggers going out, by the way. I want to know more Neglecting about the crank triggers. The crank, <laughs> the crank triggers, you know, the ignition pickup coil. It's the number one cause of them going out. Now you, know, you go out to your bike one day and you haven't got a, a, a spark. Now, when the magnets come loose, can that uh, <sighs> it damage the engine? Yes. 
because what can actually happen is the flywheel is still spinning at however many thousand RPM the engine's going. Mm -hmm. the, the, the magnets have now glued themselves not to the flywheel, to the actual alternator stator, which is fixed. The stator is fixed and the flywheel is a cup that goes around it. If one of them gets cocked over and starts smashing up, it'll smash itself up and all the magnets mm. around it. So now you have a very, very high carbon, basically magnetic material, which falls into the oil pan of the engine. Mm. And it can plug everything up. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do on Tuesday, we'll pull the casing off. We'll have a look and see how many of those magnets are left. I think we're going to find them all there just glued to the alternator stator. I think it's going to be absolutely fine. We'll pull them all out. We're going to find, Jim, a new stator with a heavy-duty adhesive. Mm -hmm. Put it in. His bike's going to charge great guns. We'll check the charging system because we're going to come to the number two problem. If the reg rec goes out and overworks the alternator, so the regulator rectifier is changing AC voltage, which your engine can produce quite happily, but your battery can't use. So it's changing AC to DC. That's the reg rectifying. The reg part is it's regulating what could be 20 volts down to 14, which your battery can use. So it's changing AC to DC and changing anything up to 20, 25, 30 volts to 14 DC. If that goes out and it's telling the alternator, hey, the battery needs volts now, work, 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 it can overheat the alternator. And if you overheat the alternator, the glue goes out, you're back to square one. It's a very, very common problem with these engines. Now, incidentally, my beloved Rufus also has an alternator behind the crank. The way Suzuki got around the problem is they put a car-type alternator on it, so it's actually air-cooled. If you look at the alternator on Rufus, it's like a cage. It looks like a bingo cage mm. with a big fan in it. It cools itself. So it's not, everything's in it. The rotor's in it, the stator's in it, the rectifier's in it, the diodes for the reg, um, rectification and regulation, everything is in the alternator. It's exactly like a car. It's a very, very compact, solid unit. And it's driven by a little rubber cage. So um, to me, that's the superior design. And it's a design that's shared with a lot of the Jixas of a similar age. But the FC1, that is actually a weak point in an otherwise fantastic engine. Yeah, it was it was really yeah it was it was really quick to troubleshoot too just pull the gas tank up it's helpful when you know emma knows exactly which three ports to check but uh yeah i think i mean by the time i had the, the plastics is always the fastest i mean the slowest part of the whole thing well i mean liza did exactly the right thing and she got a voltmeter on the battery mm, yes. and we realized the bike wasn't charging and then i showed up for my airplane ride and then we found the plug that goes directly into the alternator which are the three 
phases, the three white AC mm -hmm. phases. We switched the voltmeter to AC because now we're on alternating current, started the bike up and checked for alternating current coming out of each of those phases. And there was none, not mm. a damn one. Now, if your alternator was going out, you'd see something. The fact that you had nothing indicates to me that all your magnets are glued to the stator. So as far as your stator is concerned, the engine's not running. You've got zero output. So I got a question. He, <clears throat> yes. So uh, his bike, I'm assuming that what happened was uh, that the there wasn't enough juice to run the fuel injectors. Yeah. Um, and it kind of started acting like it was running out of gas. But here's my question, because he said that a... Uh, uh, like a check engine light came on. So I'm right. curious, did it have a sensor that shut the bike off? No. Because when no. I checked, that battery had 12.4 volts in it, which should have been well, enough. No, but it will no? recover. You okay. know, a battery will recover just by sitting yeah. a little. It'll recover a little bit of its composure. But there's so many electrical items on that bike that are critical for voltage. Mm -hmm. The ECU is voltage critical. The fuel injectors themselves are, are critical. The, um, the air sensors, the temperature sensors, the water temperature sensor, all of this is very, very voltage critical. And a lot of them step down in voltage from the ECU. Um, so you really need a very, very healthy 13 to 14 and a half volts going into the charging system of the bike for mm -hmm. it to run properly. Mm -hmm. What Jim was experiencing, these voltage critical components were just shutting down one by one, which is why it was running like a three-legged horse. <laughs> and it's almost like a fail safe in its own right because the bike will just start running worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, we'd get bikes come in at Superbikes that, you know, the owner would be at, in absolute tears. And he'd, oh, God, you know, everything was flashing at me and the ref counter was going crazy and, you know, the bike's dead. And we're like, no, it isn't. You know, we're just going to change the charging system and it'll be right. Particularly Suzuki's, you know. Suzuki haven't been able to design a decent charging system on a lot of their bikes for 40 years. So why start now? Um, I got an air-cooled alternator on mine, so I'm immune. Um, but a lot of the Jixxers with the oil-cooled alternators, they've got these reg wrecks that I've actually had bikes uh, arrive at the shop with the reg wreck on fire. Wow. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Actually on fire. And, you know, the owner's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, just switch the bike off. The fire will go out. <laughs> And, you know, it's that lovely smell. It's a smell of my childhood. The smell of magic smoke? Well, you know, as a child, I remember I was given this wonderful thing called a Scalextric. And a Scalextric is like car racing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, but uh, you're a child, so you find out it's far more fun than racing the cars. It's actually holding the cars in place and revving them up until the engines melt. And so it's that <laughs> lovely smell of burning ozone. That, um, so, you know, smelling electrical components, you know, meeting their heavenly reward is a smell of my childhood. Uh, <laughs> speaking of bikes on fire, I think I've told this before, but it's still one of my favorite stories. Um, 
when I was younger, this friend of mine who was 17, I introduced him to riding and helped him. You know how you introduce somebody to riding? You help them buy a bike and then you teach them how to ride it, right? That's how you did it. Yes. Uh, he was 17 and I helped him buy a CM400 that we then hid from his parents because that's how you do it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you teach them the basics and then you just send them out to ride. Well, he was going across the Golden Gate Bridge which is already, because he lived in the Presidio, so the Golden Gate Bridge is right there. So he got on, and the Golden Gate Bridge, for anyone who hasn't been on it, it's pretty sketch. It's like, uh, it changes, uh, some of the lanes change direction. All they do is have these little plastic yep. cones separating you and oncoming traffic. It's it's sketch, right? Um, narrow lanes. Narrow lanes, uh, jumpers every day. Yes, I was going to say sui- su- suicidal pedestrian. And you have oncoming traffic with no, no barrier between you, just these little plastic cones. Is that and, like a metal grate too, basically? Uh, no, I don't think no, a metal grate. Remember what the, what, what's the surface? Is it paved? Yeah, it's, it's, it's paved. paved. Um, right. And he was just white-knuckling it across. Well, some like newspaper or something uh, got caught on the front of his bike and caught fire. So he's like a new rider, white knuckling it across the Golden Gate Bridge, and and trying to fan, reach down and fan out this fire that's leaping up. Oh no! And I just think about the bridge doesn't have a lot of turnoff to like. There's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. There's no breakdown lane. And uh, I just imagine like what like what a harrowing moment, right? Yeah. Or was that it? Huh? No, he kept riding. Does he still ride? I don't know. <laughs> I have a story. Yeah. Um, so I've ridden was a man the trident. from Nantucket? <laughs> no. I've ridden the Trident. What? You tell. Well, well, it kind of, it's, 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 it's going to kind of dovetail into it. So I, I got the Trident running. Runs really good. Sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, but, of course, my gas tank is at the painter. Um so I've got this aluminum fuel cell, aluminum fuel cell that I'm going to use on the Goldwing. How is it that you have not yet adapted a tea kettle as an auxiliary tank? I mean, it seems perfect, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it does. But anyway, I've got this. I've got this aluminum fuel cell. So I filled that up with fuel and ran a line down, and I thought, I'm going to take this round the block because it's too good to miss. So I stick the aluminum fuel cell between my knees, <laughs> and, and off I go down the road. And oh, um, at, the end of my, at the end of my street, there's kind of like a dip for, um, I guess, for water drainage. And when I went under the dip, the fuel tank bounced out from between my knees and fell onto the battery and set the wiring harness on fire. <gasps> oh, no. no! How did no. you not lead with this story? Oh, my so, goodness. Well, no, this only happened on Thursday. Oh, and, no. so I set the, <laughs> and so I set the wiring harness on fire, which, which between your legs. a great amount. Yes. And, you know, live fuel between my legs as well, which yeah. filled me with much... With much dread, oh because God. some fuel had spilled on. I, I now know the Roaming. name of this episode. My crotch area. Emma's so flaming I crotch. Was, I thought I was going to have a toasty vagina. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I know occasionally uh, it burns, but not you know. 
So thankfully, I had a pair of dikes in my back pocket, so I actually cut the ground strap to the battery there and then and stopped the fire in its tracks. So that's all good, and it was localized damage. Um, and then um, I pushed it back in disgrace. <laughs> but it was a great... It was a great first ride. Uh, There's nothing <laughs> disgraceful about that. That is awesome. <laughs> Except oh the bike was looking beautiful. Well, no, it still does. does. Still does, yeah. Note to self: no, strap it... down the test tank next time. <laughs> well, you, I'm not going to take your bosom. it out now and, until. <laughs> well, no, I could put it in a. I could put it in a backpack, I suppose, just for a long fuel line <laughs> oh, going God. to the carburetor. What could just... possibly go wrong? Hold the fuel yeah, in exactly. your mouth. Just hold the fuel in your mouth, and it'll poo just a fuel line down into the carbs. Yeah. I mean, it's good because it's got like three 28 mil AMAL carburetors, so it needs lots and lots of fuel. Um, but, no, it rides, and it, it rides great, you know? Wow. So it's I'm happy. On fire. Wow. No, well, wow. yeah, we don't like fire. But it did um, sound electrical- nice at your house the other day. It sounded awesome. Yeah, it's got that nice trident, like say, pushrod three-cylinder. There's nothing mm-hmm. like it. Um, that's pretty, so there we go. That's pretty cool. Hey, um, cool. I wanted to give some thanks real quick, if you don't mind. Um, sure. First of all, um, our friend Matt from Law Tigers uh, came by the shop today. No longer with Law Tigers. Turns out Rawr! since COVID. That's great. Since COVID. <laughs> No one's crashing, <laughs> hmm. which is interesting because hmm. we know that there's more bike sales, but there's not enough lawsuits to employ a lot of the reps, um, which I'm assuming is because there's less drivers on the road in general and maybe awesome. just and less do. rides. But anyway, he has started his uh, own company, a new company called Breaking Away Adventures, and he's going to be giving tours guided tours in uh, northern california and he's coming up with some different special tours so check out breaking away breaking away adventures um and also big thanks to our listeners in virginia who sent us a large box of gear you know who you are thank you very much um again i i've i've said hey thank you everyone who sends in gear Please don't send any more. We are overflowing. We don't have enough people to give it to. But in this case, everything in that box happened to be the right size for Adrian, our very own misfit, who lost her house in the fire. So she was able to come down and get more gear to add to her collection. So that worked out great. So a big thank you to you guys for sending that. I appreciate it. Um, And then... I have, even though I know it's not the end of the show, but we've got some good emails. I have good questions. So I just wanted to get into emails now, if you guys don't mind. Can you tell? Sure. We're, we're, we're going I'm free fine. form. I'm going, I'm going rogue this episode. Freestyle. Uh, Freestyle? So, <clears throat> so this one uh, comes from Jason, and he's a newer listener, and he actually... Uh, wrote me not too long ago to say that, hey, he, you know, he discovered us and he's been listening and he's been started at one and he's, <clears throat> he's, uh, let's see, he's, uh, he was at episode 63 and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You might want to check out some <laughs> newer shows. <laughs> Why? <laughs> we're at like, classics. We're at like 390 now and he's on 63. So he said, uh, take a while. he said, good day, Miss Fitz. 
Good um, day. Good he day. says, "Hope you oh, is, is he from? Is he is he Antipodean?" Yeah. <laughs> well, it's about to be revealed. He says, hope you all are well and staying safe with everything you folks are dealing with. I can't imagine how some of you must be, feel dealing with all that is happening around you. I feel fortunate as the government here in Ontario, Canada. Seems, oh, he's one of them. Yeah, seems to be taking more precautions with the pandemic than yours down there is. But with the fires on top of that, no thanks. Fucking like Haiti's doing a better job on the pandemic than we are. So anyway, the reason I write is that a few months back, I wrote about buying a new bike and riding it home in the freezing cold and snow when I picked it up. I mentioned I only started listening to the podcast recently. Stop, 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 yes, stop. Yes, yes, yes. Um, speaking as a Californian. Yes. What is, what is this cold and snow he speaks of? What is that? It's yes. what they get up in Tahoe. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> oh no. Uh, <clears throat> all right, carry he says, on. At the time, I was on episode sixty-three, but now I've progressed to a w- up to one ten. Whoa. Whoa. says, in response to my previous emails, Liza suggested I listen to the newer ones as well. I took her advice, and I have listened to the newest 22 episodes as well. And wow, things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) says, I must admit, it took a few episodes to get used to it. But Miss Emma is quite the character and such a wealth of knowledge. Jim is a great addition. So eager and unafraid to get out there and ride. But it all leaves me with a question. Maybe I'm not the first to ask, but maybe you've already uh, had an episode discussing this. So I have to ask, where the hell did everyone go? Megan, Lucas, Douglas, Mike? That's Mike Hardass. That's the first one. Um, That is a good question. So, yeah, we have a lot of misfits in the Misfits Bank. And people do come and go for different reasons. Sometimes people move away, like bagel's going to be doing sometimes people just get sick and tired of us uh but they they <laughs> never warrants. really go away um warrants is a big one uh yeah warrants megan uh is all grown up and has a baby but uh she still comes by the garage and actually uh, might as well announce this um so her partner uh jason is a suspension specialist and in a few weeks emma you don't know this in a few weeks we're doing a suspension day at the shop for oh, wow. the pricely sum of 40 dollars. he'll set the suspension on your bike oh no way oh good oh yes so we're going to be announcing that officially and anyone can come down and get that done but megan will be here um lucas he's still around um he drops in every now and then uh but you know life life happens uh douglas he still comes by also um hard ass mike he moved away um there's been so many people over the years some are still around and some have moved on but a lot of times uh you know the the thing that's special here is that through the garage they really got immersed into motorcycle culture and almost all these people motorcycles are still a huge part of their life yeah and that's the thing that i am most proud of but everyone's got a story and we always got new misfits coming in too 
you know, the interesting thing is, you know, there's a, there, the podcast crew comes and goes, and, um, and it's not a huge group, but how large the community at the garage is itself. I mean, like just today, Josh came by, John Dalton came by, like all these people that mm-hmm. maybe have never even well, have been on the cop podcast maybe occasionally, mm-hmm. but the, the the Recycle Garage community is... Henry, uh, Ward Winnie Mike. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had a bunch right. of people um, hanging out at the garage today. They still come yeah. by. But, and for some people, the the nighttime commitment when you have a family say you know yeah. or a, a new job and, yeah what? go ahead charlie go ahead charlie with like with covid and everything like you know it used to be such like a social thing almost like after the garage you'd everyone would go into the podcast and like people would just come and kind of hang out and talk shit through microphones or whatever and now mm-hmm. it's you know with the zoom and everything it's you know, it's there's less random people coming in. You know, well, there were times where we would have eleven, like eleven people in there. Sixteen. Yeah, yeah. There you go. We'd have three <laughs> rows deep in the peanut gallery. gallery. I, know. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah in that we, Junta infested garage. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the peanut gallery here in the Zoom. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just things uh, they change and progress. Yeah. But thank you for asking, and I'm so glad you're getting a mix. And there's a whole lot of another misfits in between that you're going to get. Um. So I got a new one. This one is a good question, and I already answered him. I want to see if if Emma and everyone else has the same answer that I gave him. Um, and actually, you know what? Let's try this out. Let's see. Bagel, I'll have you try an answer first and see how well, uh, how close you come to Emma's answer. So this okay. is from our local friend, uh, John Liotti. And he says, um, hey, so he's got this uh, new to him KLR. He said, service is due at 12,000 miles and I'm at 8,000. It's been a year. You think it's okay to change the oil and wait until 12K for the rest of the due maintenance? Mm-hmm. Or should I bite the bullet and do the whole thing now? What do you think, Bagel? Personally, I would change the oil um, and wait until 12,000 to do the rest because it's the oil that's going to degrade for sitting for, for so long. Um, anything else like valves or you know, other, other components, as long as they're not going to degrade with time, unless, you know, unless it's something like a belt drive, you know, then if that sits for too long, that might need to be changed. But, um, the oil is really the only thing I think that is time dependent, you know, compared to the rest of the servicing that it would need. All right. Emma, do you agree with bagel? Absolutely the same as bagel. The only thing on the service that is, um, time dependent and not mileage dependent are the fluids so um that could be oil that could be brake fluid that could be coolant but he needs to attend to his his fluids now Twelve thousand is a valve clearance he can wait for that mm-hmm. because the valves aren't going to go out at eight thousand it's going to take twelve thousand for the valves to go out so he needs to get those fluids changed in terms of time and he can offset all the mechanical stuff, the valve clearance stuff, until 12. Uh, good, because that's basically what I said. I said that you can, there's no such thing as changing the fluids too often. It's just a matter of uh, the impact on your wallet. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and change that out now. Um, all right. Let's help some more people, shall we? Oh, this this one isn't helping someone. This one is just a nice message. And this is from, uh, let's see, 
H. Oh, Hal. This is from Hal in Conyers, Georgia. Says, hey, Liza and gang, I've been listening to the pod for about a year or two, and I really enjoy it. I just finished the great story about the Yamaha Jet Twin and realized that you, Liza, that's me, and I share our birthday. So belated happy birthday to you. Keep up the good work, and I'll get back to you another time. How? Hey, I got a twin. My long lost twin. (laughs) That's it. Out in Congress, Georgia. Great. We gotta have some boiled peanuts and go to, go to Atlanta and eat some varsity. And I'm glad you enjoyed the story about the twin jet. Wasn't that it wasn't that crazy, that was you guys? Good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was <laughs> talking to Henry about I was talking to Henry about that today because um how different the world is now. We were talking about that and I'm like, man, we talked to this guy a couple of weeks ago where it was so different. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. This one says new bike question. All right. We got to help him. And this is from our friend Matthew Kern. He says, hey, misfits. Hope you're doing well. First of all, I have to welcome Bagel to Oregon. I live about 40 miles from Veneta and would love to grab coffee sometime. All right. Excellent. Uh, He says, but I have a dilemma. I am currently riding an 08 versus 650 and an 02 DRZ 400 S. Both great bikes. Mm-hmm. He says, I love both the bikes, but I don't find myself getting on dirt as much as I would like. And I am already limited on space as, as it is. I'm considering selling both bikes and picking up a used FJ09. I made the mistake of riding my coworkers and now can't stop thinking about getting my own. But that would mean getting rid of both my current bikes. So here's the two options. Sell both and get an FJ09. Or keep both and wait till he has a bigger place a year or so so that he can have room for it. He says um, he feels like he would miss the DRZ and the Versus has been a fantastic first bike, but getting a bit bored and craving a bit more power. Talk me down, he says. So get rid of them. No, get rid get rid of both of them. What? And yeah, get rid of both of them and move on. I'll tell you why. Neither of those bikes, neither of those bikes is unusual enough that he won't have trouble replacing them if he has seller's regrets. And he's already saying to himself, well, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of the Versus 650. They're great bikes, DRZ 400, great bike, you know, Versus 650, great bike, but they're not irreplaceable. You know, the comment move the on. comment I would make is yeah, sell and move on, but but unless you're certainly you're gonna give up on dirt, you know, maybe keep an adventure option. Maybe one of the smaller new adventure bikes, the Tenere seven hundred, the KTM seven hundred. It's a little pricey, might be a little bit, you know, more than you want to spend. But if you if, if you talk about the FJR, right? I mean if he gets that bike, that's the a, a FJ09 bike yeah. or FJ09. Um you know, he's, he's done with any dirt at all. And I think, you know, make sure if you're going to give, give up those two bikes that you're really done riding dirt. Cause I think there's a lot of bikes like the versus where, or, or either one of those where dirt is still an option. Right. And that's, that's kind of what my thought was, is what kind of riding is he interested in doing? Because if, if he wants to do, you know, dirt and street, then, you know, the FJ09 is not going to be so good for that. But, you know, if, if he's, if he's really not interested in dirt and just doing street, then, you know, then it makes more sense. And he's dreaming he's gonna, about it. He's dreaming he, about that FJ09 already. Yeah. And I'm assuming his, his budget is around six grand, probably, right? Six, maybe seven. I want to hear Charlie's. Those opinion. two bikes. 
was he saying he wanted to ride more dirt? Yep. He said um, he, he doesn't find himself getting on dirt as much as he would like. But he also said that mm. he's a bit bored and craving a bit more power. I'd say so, buy the Tenere 700. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The Super, yeah, the Tenere 700. Well, I think that'd be. Or you keep both bikes and you make the DRZ more capable in the dirt. But a DRZ 400, I don't think is any more capable than a Tenere 700. So I'm going to go in a different direction from all of y'all. So, um, the DRZ400S is an excellent bike. If you want to go in the dirt, you can't get much better than the DRZ400S, which is the plated dirt bike. It's yeah. not the SM, mm. and it's not the E, which is just a dirt bike. This is a plated dirt bike. If you're not getting in the dirt and you have a DRZ400S, then you're not craving the dirt because that's the right bike for it. Well, I wonder if he just doesn't have the tires or because there is also the option of making that DRZ a better dirt bike and then maybe selling the Versus and buying something as expensive, but a little more power. So I would actually recommend keeping the DRZ 400S and selling the Versus and replacing the Versus with another bike with a little more power. There's a lot of options there, like an FZ1, say. Well, where is this guy from? Um, Matthew does. Oh, uh, he's in Oregon, near where Bagel's going to. Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying. Well, if if he's going to be doing like longer rides, then maybe the the DRZ 400 is not the the best choice in the world. Um, you know, I think if he's doing rides a couple of hours long, you know, on the street, maybe some dirt. Yeah, great. But uh, if he's going to be going longer than that, um, you know, he might want something a little more comfortable. That's why I think the the 700 tent ray might be a good choice. Yeah, um, I would wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it sounds like you want to sell them both to get enough money to buy one good bike. Right, and another option would be to to do that right now. Get the the FJ09, and then later on get another dirt bike. You know, and that that would, that would be strictly for the dirt. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing, if your idea of dirt is going to do fire roads and things like that, the um, FJ09 is fine for that. I mean, Justin rides his all the time in, in yeah, road. Yeah, but I got news hmm. for you. You can put uh, adventure tires onto the Versus and make yeah. that um, your fire road bike. It still yeah. is a great bike for that. Um, I think what's happening here is, yeah, this is hard. I'm the type of person who's, doesn't have trouble letting go of a bike because I just want to experience something new. But a lot of people regret selling a bike or keep bikes around because they never want to let it go. They're emotionally attached. You have two bikes that are very purposeful bikes. They're functional bikes. They're not necessarily unique in any way. And so to Emma's point, they could be easily replaced. Um, I think, um, I think, yeah, it sounds like you want a, a big boy bike. Well, and right? right now is a great time to sell a bike. You can get someone to pay a good amount of money for them. I mean, Micah sold her bike for asking price, mm-hmm. you know, within a week. Yeah. It's unheard of. Like, Well, and uh, let's just say, I mean, the FJ09 is a cool bike. The reason that when I was looking at adventure bikes, I didn't like the FJ09, even though the, the triple motor is amazing. I didn't like the foot peg 
placement. It felt like it more of a sport bike placement. The foot pegs are further back yeah. than you want them on an adventure bike. So that for me felt like it was a compromise. They were trying to just modify the FZ09 and call it an adventure bike. Um, so if you're going to be doing mostly mostly street, the FJ09 is very comfortable, upright, fun, fun motor. But if you really want to get on dirt, um, that TRZ400S is a bike that I was looking at getting because... And even I've got the 690 Enduro, and I'm still not com- completely convinced that's the right bike. And I keep thinking about that DRZ400S. Because, you know, Jim, I had that DRZ400 dirt bike that I really liked. Yeah, that forever. Yeah. Um, and I only sold it because it wasn't plated. So, um, Jim, you're muted. Yeah. So I, I would hate to have you get rid of that DRZ400S if you really want to be doing dirt. You know, the other bike that popped into my mind, and again, it's a budget question, is the that Husqvarna 701. Um, you know, that could be a pretty cool, depending on how big he is and the kind of riding again. <clears throat> but that, 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 has, that 701, you could ride two, three hours, you know, down the twisties, hop on some dirt, rip it up, ride another two, three hours back. You even getting like a Husky 450 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that'll have the 500. power and be much more highway capable than the DRZ. Or so I think you know some of those Husqvarna's could be a great choice. Yeah. Or if you can keep that DRZ400S and sell your Versus and get a Versus 1000, that's everything you want right there. I was going to say that maybe just another Versus if you're attached to them, or unless you want to the get something different. The Versus and just in general are they they're underselling. They're they go for a lot cheaper than what you're getting, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, even selling both, getting a Versus 1000, and more of like a actual dirt bike and not a drz you know yeah i mean there's so many options like and without knowing the full background and yeah you have a lot of options so i'm gonna say um sell them all and buy a klr 650 you'll be happy (laughs) (laughs) a klr 650 and a vespa i think i got bagel on my side now right hmm I don't know. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> okay, we got we got one more email, and this one is good. Uh, this one is from Gordy in Aberdeen, Scotland. Oh, and I'm not even going to try the accent. Um, but <laughs> but the Bagel's got a good the, one. The, the title of the email right. is, "I was hit by a tractor." Oh, but thank oh, you, but thank you, that. misfits. He was hit by a tractor. Oh, my Lord. He says, hope you're all well. I wanted to take a minute to thank you all for the fantastic podcast you do every week. I've been listening since I got my first bike in 2017. The reason I wanted to thank you today, though, is because I have been in hospital for a while following a tractor pulling out in front of me while I was on my 2005 Honda Transalp 650. Oh, no. Mm. The driver was on his phone. Oh. didn't see Ooh. me and pulled Jeez. out of the junction in front of me. I was doing 55 miles per hour at the time. Mm. Needless Yikes. to say, I ended up in hospital and a month on, I'm still having some issues with walking and issues with my head, struggling to focus or remember what day it is. And I often oh, get bouts of lightheaded, dizzy spells. However, I'm told I will make a full recovery. I've been going back and catching up on older episodes in between new ones during my recovery and just wanted to say thank you. You've made my hospital stay a lot more enjoyable. Excellent. Oh, Gordy, that... 
this has really made not you having an accident has made my day but thank you darling that's so kind can you say that in a scottish accent uh, i cannot drink any more tea captain I have been through Aberdeen a number of times and it is a beautiful part of Scotland. I've ridden motorcycles through Scotland and I've been through there and I tell you Scotland is a beautiful place to ride motorcycles. Um, I, it is I the land the tractor. Oh. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, the tractor yes, drivers are a little distracted, though. I'm told. Oh, I, oh, I, and, so, and Nessie. Oh, you got to watch out for Nessie. So the email <laughs> gets a little better now. He says, oh, yeah? oh. all my friends and family keep asking me if I'm done with motorbikes now, or in the case of my mom, telling me I'm done with motorbikes. Uh-oh. Anyway, oh, I'm not. Shut up, Mom. says, I'm thinking of getting an Africa twin. I was yeah. just wondering... He says, I was just wondering if it is worth getting one with a DCT or just going with the standard. From reading reviews online, the DCT seems more aimed towards off-road riding. Most of my riding will be on paved, paved roads, so it is, is it worth it for me to fork out the extra money for the DCT? Oh, can I answer this? Are um, you qualified? Yes, I am. <laughs> um, Gordy, I have a question for you, darling. Are you a... F- feeble senior citizen if the answer is yes you should buy a dct if the answer is no buy a manual transmission that is not the right answer (laughs) (laughs) feeble senior citizen um is it more aimed at dirt um no it's also aimed at drag races and kicking ass (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all need a hand up sometimes liza that is true if, if you're not but a fan here, of shifting or clutches <laughs> here's what i'll say i really appreciate uh liza's dct transmission because i got the manual six speed because mm-hmm. i'm cool but when i do get on the the more elder elderly oriented dct version no i'd say a total jest but where it really comes in nicely we do some riding on some fire roads and mostly it's pretty you know easy but every now and then there's these steep switchbacks that are very loose and can be rutted and you know kind of have unexpected stuff when you're doing these real tight switchbacks on those big bikes with a lot of power and we typically take the traction control off um having to utilize the clutch a lot it uses a lot of your brain right really a lot of brain power when you ride the dct in those conditions where you're would normally be spending a lot of time feathering the clutch managing all that power you don't think about that at all Mm -hmm. it's much more relaxing it's much more enjoyable it's just finding Um, the right path that's yeah you're just basically you're just keeping your eyes up because mm-hmm. that bike you know if you just roll on the throttle it'll go up whatever you're you're aiming it at but having to feather the clutch while you're doing all this other stuff it's amazing the brain brain power it takes and yeah, plus if you have any um like hand issues like if it's hard for you to feather that clutch or that's it, it causes yeah. pain after doing that for a long time the dct can be uh, a much better option for that feeble senior <laughs> citizen um and for me it is worth it in that i really think that again i said i've said that uh, the africa twin is the first bike to really get the dct right you can't argue yeah, with yeah. that, Emma. And to experience well, that technology is really amazing. Do I? I'm, I'm going to do this in the style of Liza. Oh God! Uh, the, the Africa Twin is the, is the first bike to get the DCT right, you young whippersnapper. 
<laughs> yes. Um, you know, but well, something that popped into my mind is, you know, it does take a lot off your mind. So, you know, if your brain has to work overtime and maybe that's not the best thing for you at the moment, the DCT takes a lot of that brain work out and might be, you know, just simpler and more enjoyable. Well, also at wheelies, it'll wheelie and do that. So, But on the counterpart, if you listen to Phil at Cleveland Moto, he said it's way too complicated and it does take a couple months to really learn and understand all the variations of the settings you can do. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me there is let that. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So once you've played with all the variety, because there are a shitload mm -hmm. of settings, once you've played with the whole variety, right, you've got it dialed in, how many different, other than turning off rear ABS mm -hmm. and turning off traction control, mm -hmm. how often do you really mess with the settings? Well, uh, for instance, it's got um, drive and sport. And drive. Know, how often do you mess with them? I'm explaining. So drive okay. is an eco mode that's going to shift it much sooner and keep the engine running low. So if right. you're doing long distance traveling, you can set it to just drive and it's going to be more eco and, and gas saving. If you want to like light it up and have fun, put it into sport mode. So it depends on the mood and the type of riding I'm doing. So I have that control right okay. there. So between touring and between, you know, riding, you know, fun and, and fast, it, those are both good settings. Yeah. And that's not even getting into all the variations of the power settings. Yeah. And the reason I ask, it's like a lot of things, everything's so complicated and can do so much, but we only use a small, small mm -hmm. amount of it. Cause that's what I found on the, the manual transmission is I usually keep the, the power setting, the engine braking setting and the traction control all the same, mm -hmm. you know, middle of the road on the first two and minimal, minimal um, traction control. And then it's really just the other stuff on and off. So even though it's complicated, I don't spend a lot of time going through all the different electronics. But that's what I was trying to say. The, the true advantage, if you are not a highly skilled off-road rider, this gives you an advantage. Yep. So that is the one thing. Um, if you want to do dirt riding and have an advantage, then it is worth getting it. If you are a highly skilled rider in the dirt, it's not necessarily worth it for you. I think yeah, it, and you no. can drink a cup of coffee. Yeah. Making fun of hindrance. Yeah. Right. But making fun of Liza aside, it's one of those decisions I think if he buys a manual transmission africa twin he's going to be thrilled with it mm -hmm. if he buys a dct africa twin he's going to be thrilled with it because it's such a capable bike in both forms and i know both jim you love your africa twin liza you love your africa twin mm -hmm. maybe for different reasons but they're just such damn good bikes I've met a lot of veteran riders with a DCT. Yeah. You know, right. so it's not, there's no reason, but, but they're not charging hard through the desert and the car and all that kind of stuff either. The so. main benefit of having the clutch is being able to better control power. Like if you're in some really loose terrain, mm -hmm. modulating your speed with your clutch is easier to do and you won't lose momentum in the same way that you would if you cut power. With the throttle. Okay. Yeah. So they do act completely different. And also, I smoke Jim on the drag racing. 
<laughs> if you're riding at the level where you really are utilizing the clutch for traction, you probably would already know your decision of which ver- version you'd want, anyways. Like, right? I'd yeah. say, I'd say, um, better yet, hold out for the supercharged one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly with the 17 inch front wheel <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't know that you can go wrong with any africa twin a vintage yeah, the, only, the new one I, any they're the all only fun. thing is if yeah if, if you have a short inseam it may not be the bike for you that's it's a tall oh, fucking bike point. man having to move that get, getting it stopped and started is the hardest part of the whole thing you know that is the one thing i would say so the africa twin comes in four variations and we're not even talking about between the thousand and the 1100 so you have your standard bike manual transmission standard bike uh dct and then you have the adventure sport manual and venture sport dct so you can get either the standard like jim has which has a smaller tank a little bit it's a little bit shorter riser on the handlebars a little bit shorter suspension or you can get the adventure sport that has a much bigger tank and it's just taller it's more of a you know a long distance if anything i would say the adventure sport is a giant big heavy pig and maybe that's what you don't need unless you're doing long distance riding and want that extra i think we figured out i have an extra 80 miles of gas well, on my yeah, bike. Something like that. ground clearance too right yeah so i would say um if you want something that's more nimble uh, for, for, I mean, manual and DCT, they're both a winner. But between the Adventure Sport and the Standard, that's the one to really choose. And here's the other thing I'll say riding in Scotland, and he knows this obviously better than anyone in Emma, the weather the weather can be really gnarly. Um, oh, yeah. So you're going to be riding in the rain a lot, right? So, mm. you know, when I was over there, I rented the, uh, the BMW R9T, which is probably one of the worst choices ever because it's totally naked, no protection whatsoever. And I'm going by the, all these other BMW guys full protection heated grips like uh, well what are you gonna do but it was a great choice for the ride but i would i would take into consideration you know fairings and stuff that's going to keep you a little warmer and a little drier as well yeah fuck it get a super 10 no i'm kidding <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that no. ktm 990 is wicked that's that's what i'd be looking at get the uh, yeah. on, oh, the 790 i'm sorry the 790 there's so many good bikes out there now. You know what? That reminds me. Hey, Emma, you know, I, I did want to talk about uh, controls, but you know what? That's such a big topic. I want to set that aside because yeah, I want to no talk problem. about something else. We didn't mention um, this news came out a couple of weeks ago. Did, did we talk about or maybe did. Did we talk about the CB350? Yeah, a little. So I just I thought this was interesting. Um that Honda announced that they're reviving the CB350 so that they can fight the Royal Enfield. And this is a bike that's going to be... Well, yeah, 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 no, 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 no. Hang on there. You see, you've misrepresented it. They're, they're not reviving anything. This is a standalone model. I'm reading is, the, the title of the article. They revived right, the CB350. There is nothing in common with that bike with the 350s of old they're reviving the name is what they're reviving there you go and yeah so what i was going to say is that this bike is not for the american market 
This is for, I believe this is for the Indian market. Yeah. 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 So, um, but how interesting that they're really going after the Royal Enfield, which would you say in India that that probably is like the main, the main bike there, right? Well, you know, I mean, at risk of sounding like a long playing record, I've, I've talked about this many, many times before. Um, it's this thing about having reverence for the domestic product. And it's part of the reason why Harleys are so popular in America. You know, it's patriotic. It's the domestic brand. Um, yeah, it's a great looking by that little Honda. Um, mm -hmm. Hence Triumphs in England, hence BMWs in Germany. And in India, the aspirational bike is the Royal Enfield. Even above Harley, and Harley find this out to their cost, they thought, okay, we can come out with a better product. You know, we've got a twin-cylinder bike. The Enfield's only a single-cylinder. It's a more modern-looking bike. But what they didn't bank on is just the sheer love of the Royal Enfield. You know, it's, it's something you aspire to owning. If you live in India, that's the bike to own. Mm -hmm. And the Royal Enfield thump, the thump out of the exhaust, is part of the characteristic of the bike and part of the charm of the bike. So, um, yep, Royal Enfield 350 bullet and the 500 if you're a posho. And there's just a special moment when you rattle your first bolt off on those bikes, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, and, and here's some of the numbers just to wow you. So, this is a 348cc single made with a five-speed gearbox and rated at a whopping 20 horsepower. Um, but that is not net horsepower. So, it's going to be, that's SAE. So, it's going to be about a 19, 18 horsepower engine. It is not a quick bike. So, um... Do you think this is the type of thing we might ever see here in the States? No. There's no market for it. You know what? Uh, you know what that makes me think of? You know, we need to do a whole episode on gray market bikes. Hmm. All the bikes we didn't get here in the States. There's so many. You mean like so the many. RS250? Dude, you can deep dive. Like, Jim, I don't even know if you've deep dived in this. This is a whole other world when you find out about, like, the GB400 and the GB250 mm -hmm. and, like, right. and all these bikes that you get in Canada and in England yeah. and yeah. variations. Where would you say, okay, so let's talk about the GB400s. Yeah. The GB400s were born out of insurance regulations, as were the SR-400s and the SR-500s. They were born out of insurance regulations. That doesn't necessarily make them a bigger bike, but they were a product of the countries they were sold in because of government regulations or market regulations. Now, let's go back to our Honda 350 and compare it with a Honda 350 from, say, 1970. Okay, so let's go back 50 years. Honda 350 back in 1970, well, it was a twin-cylinder bike for a start. It had a lot more power. Not quite double, but not far short of double. And it was cheap and cheerful and bright and fun. 
and you could walk into the Honda dealer with a couple of hundred bucks in your pocket, slap it down, get really cheap financing or buy it outright and ride the heck out of it. And it was a fast bike. You know, things have moved on a little bit now. Bikes need ABS, bikes need fuel injection, bikes need this. And so bikes are heavier now and physically larger. Mm -hmm. And I really don't see that 20 horsepower bike as being exciting enough to sell in America. I mean, the Royal Enfield's a great example. It's the ultimate retro bike. Mm -hmm. It looks retro. It sounds retro. They're wonderful. Well, and why would you buy this 350 if there's all these 400s on the market? Well, and there you go, because people like more power. Price. But the... but the thing is with the Enfield singles, when was the last time you saw one? And I'm excluding Sunday coming down with all her friends. <laughs> yeah. So let's take Sunday and her well, friends. Well, you did that. That was a while ago. When was the last time you saw an Enfield single on the road? Uh, it's been a while. Never. Well, we used to have a dealership here in town. So yep. I used to see him at the Capitola Bike Show. Um, I see him at the the oh, British yeah, show. I used ago. to see them when we had bike shows. Right. So, you know, it's it's been a while. Yeah. I don't see a market for that bike in America. Well, here's the here's a new question. And each of you who wants to answer it if you have if you have an answer, I think Emma might. Emma, can you name one bike that never came to the States that you wish had, that you would love to have? A Sandglass. What the hell is that? <clears throat> have a look at it. Sandglass 500. Like an hourglass? S-A-N-G-L-A-S. Uh, Sandglass? It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a Spanish police bike. Um, Sandglass now, 500? Yeah. Sandglass. Oh. Let's see. Oh. Oh. It looks kind of like an Italian bike from the 70s. Yeah. Now, I've got very fond memories because I used to live in Spain. And I just remember seeing the Guardia Seville wearing their slick raincoats and those patent leather hats. Oh, no. And you can find earlier ones than that with wire Mm. spoke wheels and drum front brakes. And they're great bikes. Yeah, that's a bit more like hmm. it. Look at that thing. Interesting. Sandglass 500. But uh, that's a Spanish police Spanish police bike. All right. So I have one, and I think this is a perfect example of a bike, and I don't understand why it wasn't brought here. So first I'll tell you, this bike was made by Yamaha from 2005 to 2012. Uh, you can buy it in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, India, Japan, and parts of North America, so that means Canada, and yeah. that bike is the MTO One. Oh wow. yeah, I saw one of those in Mike Corbin's showroom. Right, Mike had one. It's a it's a big twin. It's it basically yeah. looks like a mm-hmm. a sportster motor on a sports bike. By MTO, are you talking about like a Yamaha? Yeah, Yamaha. Like, there's like the MTO Nine, MTO Seven, but like a modern. Here, Charlie, do you see the picture? MT01. Oh, that looks like that Vitaphone or whatever. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a bike. Why didn't that come here? This is just a big, brutish bike. You'd think it'd be made for our market. 
Can I? Can I? Can I have another one? Another Yamaha? <laughs> yeah, are you going to take Jim's? Because I don't think Jim has one. Go for I'll it. take Jim's. Jim would like a TDR two fifty Yamaha to be sold in America. Dying to know what scooter <laughs> never came to the states. Oh man, there's so many that a never Capri. came. To the states. <laughs> a, a Capri scooter. Yeah, the Capris are pretty cool. Um, of course, my my up the butt bike, the uh, the the Oxbrick Vespa GS was only sold in Europe. Okay. Um, uh, man, I'm trying to think of of uh, other scooters that that haven't made it here that I, I'd really be interested in. The thing is, there really aren't a lot of modern scooters, at least that I know of. Although, I, you know, I don't think Peugeots are sold here in the states, and. I, I don't know a lot about them, but I have seen some photos of some modern Peugeot scooters that actually look kind of cool. Um, but I don't really know a whole lot about them. So, but there's there's a whole world of stuff out there that that isn't sold here. Dude, I just, that, that I just know that's something I discovered. I think in the '90s when I discovered the whole gray market, bike market. Yeah. Is that redundant? Um, and when you oh. see the things that are out there, I'm like, what? Yeah. Well, you know, I did. Oh yeah, Jim bought that arse the the s what whatever the fuck yeah, you well, you have a yeah you basically have a gray market bike don't you yeah well kind of I just, there's a whole freaking thing with me having that because I still don't have the paperwork but he uh. somehow got this Aprilia um, SR250 mm-hmm. um, RM250 which was never sold in the United States as a street legal motorcycle it was sold as a track only motorcycle right mm. in europe it was sold as a street legal bike and it's a two-stroke 250 kickstart only freaking sport bike yep you know so it has a europe it's has a european body work which has the headlights but there's also fairings for it that he had or whatever that say like racetrack use only or whatever <laughs> dude you yeah. don't have, you don't have the paperwork yet that sucks no it's because he, well, he died. It's a whole freaking thing. It's a thing. Mm. Yeah. You know, no. his, his, he never, like, the divorce. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, that, just but, don't get into it. <laughs> but if, if there was paperwork yeah. for it, it can be worked out. So that's, a that's great, the important part. Jim, do you, are there if any. Paperwork for it, it's been registered the last 10 years. It's not out of the system. All right. right. Yeah. Jim, do, you, long, do yeah. you know of a gray market bike that you would ever want? Uh, here's one I would love to talk about. It might be up Emma's alley as well, Ooh. considering it's a Suzuki. Oh. Uh, this is right a Suzuki GS twelve hundred SS, two thousand and fourteen. Oh, yeah. Right, this thing yes. looks insane. Uh, a burly, burly Jixer like inline four. Um, yeah, hundred pounds of horse, uh, you know, hundred hundred horsepower, and you can tune it up with all the Jixer Jixer uh, parts and make it crazy fast. But it looks oh, that, wicked, all black. That is a rims. weird looking bike. Right, it's almost got that. What's that Japanese thing? It almost looks like a. Is it the TDR, but with it's, clip-ons? It's got yeah, a kind of TDR look about it. Yeah. And it's got that kind of GP looking seat looking, like the the back of it is really wild looking. It's it's chunky. It's mm-hmm. chunky. It's I get, you know what you know what it looks like. It looks like somebody parked a bandit too close to a fire. <laughs> and it all just kind of <laughs> oh speaking of which um uh, hey we learned uh we learned something new yesterday um that when you <clears throat> dangle a coke bottle with coke in it 
a plastic one in front of your exhaust accidentally, hmm. it'll explode. We're off to a grand start to go down to, to Jameson's Museum to shoot that video. <laughs> My bike shits the bed on Highway 1 just to, next to Capitola. I got a two-up, you know, nuts to butts with Homeboy. And then uh, as we're we're waiting at a light. I'm riding pillion. I look over and Liza's duffel bag's unzipped. I'm like, I should tell her it's unzipped. And then something blew up. I was like, what? I thought it was a battery, like a lot of battery, because, you know, all the batteries and stuff. And then I'm looking and I'm looking at her duffel bag just kind of sitting on her muffler. Well, what, what threw me is nothing came draining out. I was like, yeah, it's hmm. weird. I threw all the, I had all the equipment in a duffel bag, but then I threw my Coke in there and it yeah. sifted down to the bottom of the bag and then just weighted and drooped down over the exhaust. So just the bottle. So everything else was fine. And I just heard a, you know, hey, let's pull up real quick. Yeah, I and that, a tad, that I'm like, funny. I'm really. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Oh, so all this happened before you got to the museum? <laughs> yes. Oh, fuck. Uh, that was like the first you know, 20 the, minutes of our experience. Yeah. And the museum, it, it was remarkably straightforward, but. Um, Quite a bit of no, excitement. That reminds me of when I, when, I, when I bought my El Camino, because I actually I bought that thing, and the dealer, Dodie, he said, look, it needs a new engine. I said, well, can I take it out for a test ride? He says, yeah, it runs, but it needs a new engine. And so um, he said, look, I've got some business downtown. Just put the keys back in the office when you come back. And so I call up my friend McCarthy, who's always good for a, uh, an adventure. And I say, we're going out for a test ride. I'm taking this thing home now, but I'm not going to tell the dealer. And if it makes it home, I'll make him an offer for it. And so I'm driving this thing on the freeway. And, you know, it does really does need an engine. The temperature gauge is absolutely pegged in the red. Yeah. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. There's a bit of smoke coming out the back. And I think, well, you know, it's, it's just another mile. It'll be okay. It'll get, <clears throat> It'll get there. And then the heater core exploded. Oh. And it filled up. It filled up the passenger footwell with boiling coolant. Oh. And what I didn't realize was it was quite distracting for me, so I just turned the radio up. And what I didn't realize was McCarthy was following me on his DRZ 400. And as much coolant blew out of the side of the front fender. And he's wiping his visor. How is this smell of burning coolant? And so I pulled up. I actually made it to my house, and it was like something out of a movie because I pulled up in this giant blue cloud, and the car just went and kind of expired in front of my house and then we dragged it onto the driveway i made an offer was, for the car and in the end i just yeah in the end i just put yeah but in the end i just put cylinder heads on it so uh, but yeah things exploding in front of you it's quite fun i have to admit i do love I'm Jim, I'm kind of enticed now to to wire a, another bottle just down in front of my exhaust and just to watch it happen. I didn't get to watch it. <laughs> well, put yeah, something exciting in there so it blows up. Yeah. yeah I do love it. pulling up to Emma's house, though, when you pull up and you get to see her kitten, which is the uh, forest green jaguar. And yes. then you get to see the Elkie, the white and blue Montana Elkie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Nice. Well, guys, I... Yes, and darling, my, the kitten is black, darling. It's black. Mm. 
That's right. The last one was green. So, yes. hey, guys, I think we've gone long enough. Uh, you know, this was an episode without without a guest. Uh, you know, I, I haven't stated as much, but I'm just going to say my intent um, now that, you know, I'm realizing this many months in that we're probably going to be continuing to do Zoom casts for a while, um, that might as well take the opportunity and get as many guests uh, on that we can that normally um, we would have waited to get them in studio. But um, so I've been filling up our calendar um, and I'm trying to keep like every uh, two, three, four weeks, one open for us just to shoot the shit like this, because I think it still is fun just to have us just yeah. talking about whatever. But um, that's all to say I've got some amazing guests uh, booked in the next uh, next month. I'm talking. um Let's talk about we're, we're going to be talking about life saving technology and we're going to be talking about world record holder. There's a lot of cool stuff. So just getting you excited. Oh, and then. Oh, yeah, there's so many. Anyway, um, but I hope Can I talk about amazing things. I'll tell you who's amazing. My fans are amazing. There you go. I have been getting. Oh, I've been getting the most amazing fan letters. You guys are beautiful. And I'm sending out the Miss Emma Give It The Bean stickers to every single one of you who writes in with a stamped address envelope. I have been told that the Miss Emma Give It The Bean sticker looks like an angry Lisa Loeb. (laughs) 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 And I'm not disputing that. I don't think it's a bad thing, actually. (laughs) There you go. It's and, beautiful. I'm holding one in my hand right now. And if you yeah, would so like they... an angry Lisa Loeb sticker, <laughs> send us a self-addressed stamp, stamped envelope uh, to the Misfits at 342 Washington Street, Santa Cruz, California, 95060. And I will make sure that Emma gets it. Uh, Emma, I forgot I have another one here I forgot to give you. So, oh, yeah, no problem. And what I'll do is... Um, when I'm in Santa Cruz over at Jim's on Tuesday night, I'll grab some uh, motorcycles and misfit stickers so I can do like a um, Emma's Army, give it yeah. the bean sticker. And, you know, do a do a nice little sticker pack for anybody who's um, got a bit of road rash on the side of their bike and they want to class it up a bit. Because <laughs> no, nobody wants to see those gouges on the side of your bike. Stick oh, an angry Lisa Loeb sticker over it. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And if you would like to have a Motorcycles and Misfits t-shirt, one of the new black shirts with the uh, vintage racing poster design. Oh, you talk can, about uh, classic. like it, huh? You can uh, just yeah. send a PayPal payment of $25 to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. Put your size and your address in the notes. I'll get that sent out. That's in the U.S. If you are outside of the U.S., go ahead and send an email to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com with your address and i will give you a quote for the cost of the shirt and the shipping um i think that's all we have go to motorcycles and misfits.com i've had some people making some great suggestions about uh some changes we can do and more things we can add to the website the only problem with that is i'm the one who runs a website and i don't know how to do website design so 
we're kind of stuck with this is what you get for now. Um, I'm putting my time into uh, booking guests and to making the Misfits videos. Um, if anything changes, then I have more time. I would like to put more time into the to website. When, when do you think we're going to be dropping the next Misfits video? I'm sure people are interested. I don't know. It depends on how bad Jim's camera work is. It's going to be a cinematography <laughs> masterpiece. It was awesome. I don't oh, think I cut your head off half the time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It takes me a few evenings to do that. So okay, I'll get it on as soon as I can. I hope to have it out uh, uh, this coming week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. I thought the oh, content be was really good. Yeah, I yeah. thought the content it's, was good. I, the lighting I really was good. Enjoyed- I, I really enjoyed doing them this time, and I will offer a teaser that we open with Liza and myself <laughs> sitting on and in a BMW sidecar outfit. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, uh, Emma, you don't get into a sidecar so much as you put it on. Put it on. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, especially thank you to our Patreon subscribers. We had some new subscribers this month. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all you misfits for uh, coming on and uh, doing this with me. We have yeah, we have fun too. Um, send us your suggestions if you have a potential guest. Send us an email, and also if you uh, have a question, send us an email. We'll try and get to that too. So on that note, thank you everyone for listening. This is Liza. Emma Darling. Jim's cat. Bagel. Naked Jim, son. And we are out of here. Cool, cool. cool.